Hi, this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Daniel Myrick talks to me about his UFO film, Skyman, telling it in a unique way for this type of film that really has its roots in the main character's early life. Tommy Tolato here with Dan Myrick, or Daniel Myrick. Uh, he is the writer and director of an interesting film, Skyman. Uh, you know, I Dan, welcome. And I mean, I've always been kind of an amateur UFOologist, but don't really investigate it. But whenever a case comes up, I'm always interested. So this movie is certainly right. up my alley. So I, I'm, I appreciate that. No problem. Well, I think what's interesting is there's several ways to do this kind of film. You can either do it as an investigative kind of thing, but I like the approach that you're taking to make it more of a personal story where this is something that the main character experienced as a young boy, and then years later as an adult, he kind of revisits that a little bit. Uh, talk about approaching it from that side as opposed to uh, like a whodunit or are UFOs real kind of investigative movie? Well, I think first of all, I just find that aspect really compelling. Uh, you know, it's as a filmmaker, I've always sort of drawn to characters and their stories and to sort of go in the direction of a procedural or investigative thing. I think it's been done a million times that you yeah. can go to any history channel or travel channel and, and completely binge, which I've done <laughs> on, on, uh, you know, the in search of equivalents of nowadays that, that I think, um, you know, uh, I, I can't compete with that, but, from a storytelling perspective, you know, it's about characters. And I, and I wanted to kind of tap into some of the, the research that I had done over the years. And when I was a kid and back in the 70s and 80s when UFOs were really a big thing and take inspiration from those testimonials that I've, that I've um, looked at and, and bring them to bear on a, on a character hybrid that um, is from the perspective of the experiencer and how meaningful and the consequences of their belief and their compulsion to find answers that rarely gets told. That's where the character of Carl came about and his effect on his, on his family and, um, and, and his own life and, and wanting to identify with him as a person that's searching for answers, which I think we all can kind of relate to. And that's, I just felt compelled to do. Sci-Fi Talk returns in a moment. The challenge, of course, is you have to cast... Carl as an adult and as a child. So how do you approach that? I guess there has to be some level of resemblance and maybe some continuity with the character so that both actors kind of blend into each other and dovetail each other. Yeah, you certainly, I mean, we, we had the benefit of there being a 30 year disparity. So you can get away with a little bit more kind of Sure. Creative freedom on you realizing Carl as, as a as a child, and in our particular instance, it's the, the child isn't playing a major role in the film. It's just sort of referencing this this episode of of the sighting he had. So, so we had a little bit more kind of creative license to work with there, but but certainly there had to be you know some familiarity, you know, in this behavior and his physicality, and that that you would buy it and believe it and. And the same challenge presented itself with realizing his father, because we have pictures of his father back in the day. So we need to kind of believe there's some sort of, you know, 
resemblance there as well as his sister. So always a challenge in filmmaking, trying to cast family members that aren't actually related to each other. Right. Unbelievability with with um, with these characters. And so, yeah, it was it's always it's always a bit of a challenge. I notice uh, that what I did see of the film, there's a, a handheld kind of technique and almost to make it look like you're almost in the room with the characters and it's as close to being real as it possibly can. And that's something I think you pioneered with the um, with the Blair Witch Project. So talk about that aspect of it, of, of ki- kind of keeping your camera kind of free in that sense. Well, I really like that style of shooting. And from a filmmaking standpoint, it just gives you a lot of on-site freedom. You know, you can, you can go into a situation with a much smaller production footprint, allow the actors more freedom of blocking, and provided that the story uh, lends itself to that style, um, it can be a very rewarding experience for all involved. You just don't have as many encumbrances with that kind of shooting, and, and it allows for a lot more spontaneity and sort of magic to happen um, between the lines of the script. That that is always a wonderful thing when that happens. So this particular story chronicling Carl's journey. I felt lent itself to to this sort of kind of mockumentary approach. And, you know, I was, I'd said before, I was very conscious of the fact that a lot of people might compare this style to Blair Witch and that you've got that baggage that's brought into this, but it's not a found footage movie. It's really, right. you know, the first time that I, that I'm myself am a character in the film. I'm basically, I'm the filmmaker documenting, Carl's story. So you even hear my voice occasionally off camera. Ah. So I sort of took this hybrid kind of Earl Morris approach to telling this guy's story, which sort of gave me the best of both worlds. I could have Carl's perspective being recorded, you know, when need be, but I could also see Carl's story through the prism of my own filmmaking lens, which has its own subjectivity involved. So I wasn't sure if that approach was going to work. But it ended up being, you know, in hindsight, the only way to do this for me, because it it does give you this sense of intimacy with Carl and his surroundings and his life and his relationship with his sister and friends that you otherwise wouldn't feel, I think, in a a, a well-lit, typical narrative format. So, so yeah, I'm... Uh, I hope it. I hope it works. Uh, you know, on the grand scale, but I'm I'm pleased with the result. And that you're casting uh, Michael Selly and also Nicolette Sweeney. I thought, you know, again, a, a very strong char- a woman character that we've seen in some of your films. What do they bring to this project that maybe you didn't see initially? My style, in most cases, some of it governed by budget, but um, I, I really like casting unknowns and I think for this particular film there was a bit of a debate early on like should we get a name in the movie to help the sales and yada 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 and I said well I mean for this particular film part of what works for us is you're not quite sure what you're watching is it real is it not real not that we're trying to pull any hoax on anybody but it's, it's, it, it doesn't come with any preconceptions of a, an actor you've seen before right. so the character Carl was this really layered kind of complicated 
profile because I didn't I didn't want the stereotypical like wacky redneck that you know we all sort of well I shouldn't say all but many people envision you know a UFO uh, experiencer may may encompass and and I wanted I wanted somebody that was you know slightly on the spectrum and super smart in some areas and and ultimately sincere you know that this is a guy that truly believes what he saw as a child is committed to this reunion and over time you have to appreciate and respect that about him and if he was unlikable or just a whack job you wouldn't it would be you would, there right. would be a mockery of that whole process and i didn't want that to happen and michael brought that all those complexities and all those subtleties to the character in, in wonderful fashion and with Nicolette, you know, I wanted a I wanted a, a younger sister, but also a stronger presence in his life. She's basically the matriarch of the family now because mom is in the hospital and dad passed away. The brother is wherever, you know, and so she has to hold the fort down. And she's uh, obviously loves her brother, but is frustrated with the fact that he, he can't contribute to the day-to-day -day like she would like him to, which we can kind of sympathize with. Yeah. Uh, so having to sort of deal with this big kid in her house who's pursuing aliens and pay the rent mm -hmm. at the same time is, is, a, is a tough challenge, and she's had to kind of plow through and be supportive on one hand, but also you can see the cracks in the relationship on the other, and, and Nicolette just played it perfectly. Um, and that chemistry between the two and that dynamic, they really mined it and, and developed it over over a year of us workshopping it to to almost perfection. I'm really, really happy with what they brought to the table. Yeah, I mean, Michael quoting Arthur C. Clarke, I said, this is not your usual guy here. He, he he's, he's read a few things. So I, I like that. I appreciate no, it. Um, yeah, yeah, he's done his homework, and and he's he's not a dummy. He's he's, That's he's right. someone that is passionate and, and and wants to find answers, and is not going into this thing half cocked. Like one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when he's sort of questioning this this author at the UFO convention, and he's picking apart all these little subtleties, and you know that the author himself has like is like, why are you asking me all these obscure questions? And you've got this guy that's very very much has done his due diligence and is looking to f find connections and to find similarities and other testimonies that are like his own. And he's very serious about this. You know, you have to appreciate that. Shooting on location is always tough. And, you know, you had the, the two trailers out there and it looks like it was somewhere in the desert too. So talk about the location yeah. and how it worked out for you. Well, I always knew I wanted it to be in the desert. The desert is, is I think, anyone who's been out to the desert, it's understandably a very sort of spiritual place. And your your connection with the universe is unlike anywhere else because you've just got this blanket of stars overhead every night that really makes you contemplate the universe when you're out there. And that's something very profound, I think, throughout human history. And, and also quite intentionally, it's this landscape that's very alien in and of itself. There's this sort of kind of allegory that that you've got this guy looking for aliens um, on another planet, and he's sort of one on his own, right? So you look at yeah. you look at the, the 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 high ground house or the HGH, if you will, and it looks like a little space out, outpost on the moon. <laughs> and I like that <laughs> it visual. Does. 
so I initially wrote the script out in the desert. I have a little RV that I, I, I trucked out to um, Black Rock Campground just north of uh, Joshua Tree and spent about a month out there writing the script and was inspired by the desert every day. And my buddy that lives in, in uh, Apple Valley, uh, Ray Warren, who's co-producer in the project, knew of this one area, um, you know, close to his house that we could shoot at. So, so yeah, we, we hauled these containers out there and our production designer, um, Sean Carroll, you know, dressed them all out and we had our bug out shelter for Carl and we spent, you know, two or three weeks out there shooting the film under the stars every night and, and literally camping out there while we were shooting is, is a character in and of itself in the film. Sure. That bug out shelter and, and the desert backdrop. Great. Sci-Fi Talk with Tony Tolado returns in a moment. Uh, Michael's journey in the film, or actually Carl's, um, what strikes me is it's not only that he's looking for evidence of what happened, but he's also trying to maybe find a conclusion and maybe uh, kind of have a closure or kind of find himself a little bit being out there in the desert. Am I am I on the right track with that? No, you're absolutely right. I think his his um, relationship with his father is pretty evident. He's looking for some sort of resolution or redemption, if you will, in that in that regard. Sort of comes to a head later on in the film where you know Carl sort of admits that he's frustrated with feeling like an outcast or an embarrassment to the family and. And so, you know, I can understand why he wants proof, that he wants some kind of real indisputable evidence that he's not crazy, that, you know, I can only imagine the looks he's gotten over the years, especially growing up and having such a high profile experience as a child has probably brought into his life, you know, probably made fun of and bullied at school and whatnot. So, you know, I can understand him looking for some kind of closure um, and, and um, you know, uh, validation that he's, he's not crazy. Yeah. Um, so I can, I, can, I can empathize with that. And, I, and I, I, whether you believe he actually saw something or not, you know he believes it, and you really feel for the guy. can't imagine having gone through that as a child and then yeah. on the local news and you know, the kids the next day, you already sort of got Asperger's a little bit, so you're probably a little bit of an outcast. Now you're the UFO kid, right? Yeah. So growing up with that is sort of sad. It's a sad, it's a, it's a kind of a sad backstory there. And, you know, of course, his mother didn't embrace it. She was embarrassed by it. And um, so you, you're rooting for him to get some kind of validation, even though he doesn't think he needs it. You, it, it really is driving him to find out what, what he saw and, and what is this compulsion. Is it really just him driving all of this um, into the desert, or is he really being summoned by forces outside himself? That's the open question. No, no, it's very, very cool. Uh, you know, if I could, we can talk about... Uh, Blair Witch uh, for a second here. Um, you know, sure. say what say what you will about that movie, but what you really did was you created the found footage genre, and I can't tell you how many filmmakers I've talked to throughout the years, and you ask them what kind of film it is. Well, it's a found footage film, so everybody right. started doing it after you did it, and you were really one of the first, really taking advantage of the technology. If it was done today, maybe it'd be a GoPro or something like that, or even a phone. Yeah. But, but still, 
you you were kind of a, a ahead of the curve and did something very original with that film. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was um you know the, what do they say that invention or necessity is the mother of invention or that's right something along that's those it. lines. But, but we were you know we didn't we didn't have a lot of money and Ed and I Ed Sanchez my co-director on it and I you know were desperately wanting to shoot a feature film after film school and so we had this kind of you know rough idea of a woods woods movie that we hadn't developed at the time but we knew it would be pretty cheap to shoot and that it was going to be sort of a faux documentary inspired a lot by like in search of and those kinds of shows so yeah it was it was the the right movie at the right time we we were sort of on the cusp of the internet age you know reality shows like mtv real world was just coming out that's Certainly right. Twenty four seven news was just kind of coming into its own, so the the audiences are sort of becoming sensitized to shaky cam coverage and normalizing it, and that's I think all that put together sort of made Blair Witch bigger than it normally would have been at any other time. Yeah, you know, even uh, even the sequel, I thought that was really kind of a bold move to take. As an audience member, you're you're asking the questions. So did they really do it? Did they really? Do all the murders, or or wait a minute, maybe if there is a witch, she manipulated the footage because yeah, you know you don't know, and that, that's the beauty you of know, it. Yeah. So you're you're left thinking about the possibilities, and you could have done a very standard, hey, this is a sequel, and here she is, and ba boom. But you you guys didn't do that, and uh, I credit you for that. People might have condemned it, but I thought it was a bold move. Well, I appreciate that. And, and I think Joe Berlinger, who directed the movies, is a yeah. talented artist in his own right. That's a tough task to take on when you've got something sure. as, as low-key as Blair Witch that blew up so big and became such a phenomenon um, to kind of undertake um, you know, a, a, a sequel, a reimagining of that, of that uh, franchise is, takes a lot of chutzpah. And, and that, yeah. I mean, Ed and I weren't, or didn't have, even weren't brave enough to do that. But, um, but it was, um, you know, what I love about these kinds of events in our, in our lives, and I'm a product of it too. I'm a big fan of Close Encounters and whatnot, and sure. Star Wars and what have you. These films come along and have become bigger than themselves. They become the ownership of the audience, right? And to hear people how they embraced Blair Witch, and and, and there's there are definitely those out there that are more in depth and knowledgeable about the entire universe of Blair than I am, because it's it just had such an effect on their lives. And I think that's that's such a great thing about being able to do this is to is to spark people's imaginations that no other medium really does does quite like filmmaking does. And that's always very rewarding to, to see people respond to it. Yeah, when you keep things a little gray and you involve the audience in thinking, well, what could it really be? Asking that yeah, question. Yeah. Then, then it become more yeah. invested in it. And that's exactly what happened. I think so. I've, I've always liked films that do that to me. They don't just button everything up nice and neat and you know, spoon feed you everything. I, I like when films are slightly ambiguous and in, 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 in the right sorts of ways that that get you talking out in the lobby after the movie's over and oh yeah, and, and resonate with you for for months if not years afterwards. And you know, even on Skyman, I didn't want to really like come down on one side or the other. It allows people to sort of like contemplate and try to explain one side or the other and 
Um, and that's, you know, definitely inspired by growing up in that era of, bl- of blurry UFO photographs that one could argue it's a hubcap <laughs> or <laughs> yeah. an actual flying saucer, right? But no one really yeah. knew for sure. And that, yeah. and that guesswork, that, that quite not knowing is, is, is really what fuels the imagination. Yeah, I mean, we're still asking questions about encounters and abductions, and uh, we really don't have the answers, even after all these years, except for the word of the people that went through the experience. And that's I'm glad you covered that aspect of it in the film. Yeah, and that's, you know, especially in light of the kind of recent, you know, declassification of the yeah. Blue Book and, you know, the uh, United States Air Force, you know, Tic Tac UFO sighting and of course, what went down at Area 51 with the big kind of protests and everything. I mean, just this whole kind of reemergence of this kind of genre. Some things being confirmed, like, you know, I just saw another article, I think, yesterday about, um, you know, FBI files being released that we all thought was were debunked. Like, okay, well, so how much does the government know and how much are they hiding? And, yes. and it, it fuels that conspiracy notion in us that, we, that triggers all of us. And I think... There is a component to that wonder and that mystery and that ambiguity that fuels our imagination um, and our need to know. Our need to know fundamentally: Are we alone? Right? Are we? Are we the? Are we the end all, be all in the universe or not? You know, Skyman sort of touches into those themes that we all sort of are kind of asking ourselves. I'd love the line in Contact. Well, it's an awful waste of space. If yeah, we are alone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And, I, and there's been one of my, you know, favorite quotes that I have in the beginning of the film about, you know, if we're alone or not, it's equally as terrifying, right? So it is um, a very, very big universe for us, for, for th- to think of us as being the only ones here is a very lonely place. <laughs> yeah, that would be very lonely. I don't, yeah. We're not ready for first contact yet, but uh, I have no doubt no. that day will come. And I think... Right. They're not they're not approaching us uh, because, uh, frankly, they don't think we're interesting enough right now. Yeah. We're, we're, we're in an adolescence yeah. right now. So that's what I think. But prove me. They might prove me wrong. You never know. <laughs> you never know about these things. That's just it. You really you really don't know. And that's no. it's 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 one of those things that we um, you know, when you do the math, it's like almost inevitable that there's got to be something out there. You know, yeah. you just the, the amount of like habitable planets we've we've discovered in our own backyard, when you kind of extrapolate that to the whole universe, it's just the law of odds are telling you, well, there's got to be some other intelligent life out there. It's not during our little window of, of, of evolution, certainly, you know, a billion years ago or, or what have you, but whether they've circled our neck of the woods or not remains to be seen, but, but yeah. uh, not, not impossible. No, certainly not impossible. I really want to thank you for being on the podcast and talking about Skyman. Sounds like a really neat, interesting film. So definitely going to put it on my list of things to see. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Tony. Anytime. And that was Daniel Myrick, Blair Witch Director and now Director of Skyman. Get Skyman wherever you get your video content. And that is Sci-Fi Talk. I'm Tony Tolado. Thanks for listening.